electrifying industrial heat processes is the most important CO2 reduction task. Industrial heat accounts for approximately 25% of total energy, global energy consumption. We, Heaton, develops and produce an industrial high-temperature heat pump that can produce steam or high-temperature hot water by reusing usable waste heat from industry, resulting in up to 85% reduction in CO2 emission and cost. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs for Impact podcast. My name is Chris Wedding. As a former environmental private equity investor, four times founder, climate tech CEO, coach, and professor, I launched this podcast to share the entrepreneurial journey, practical tips, and hard-earned wisdom from CEOs and investors tackling climate change. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player, This is the number one way that listeners can learn more about the climate CEOs and investors I interview. All right, let's get started. My guest today is Gear Ropstadt, co-founder of Heaton, a very high temperature heat pump that can achieve 200 degrees Celsius process temperature at low cost while being completely independent from fossil fuels. They're backed by leading climate tech investors such as Azola Ventures. In this episode, we talked about how their technologies can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by one gigaton by 2050, why governments should make it illegal to not use waste heat, what it means for decentralized heat to be the elephants in the room, their nine-year journey of R&D and $30 million of investment in the predecessor to this current technology, why they needed to pivot in 2017 to this current solution and this particular customer use case, how they help industrial players in chemicals, paper, and district heating create process heat at lower cost with clean energy, the massive benefits of COTS, and if you don't know, sorry, got to listen to find out that secret, and why it's a good thing for a business to have competitors. Hope you enjoyed and please give Gear and Keaton a shout out on LinkedIn, Slack, or Twitter by sharing this podcast with your people. Thanks. Gear Ropstadt, co-founder of Heaton, joining us all the way across the big pond from Norway. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. I am both happy and very honored to be a part of the, uh, the show. Well, great. So in, in warming up here before press and record, you mentioned something which I think is important to start with, which is something along the lines of it should be illegal, in quotation marks, it should be illegal to waste good heat. And you gave an example of, you know, data centers, let's say, that are wasting, you know, five megawatts an hour of heat that, that could be harnessed, perhaps with tech like yours, to become something usable. And if we're really serious, this is your words, right? I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the microphone indirectly here. If we're serious about uh, climate change, we can't be wasting good heat like this, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, we, <laughs> we, mo- we modulated it or took it down a little bit and we reworded it that we need to make wasting usable heat illegal. But what I told you when we started was the one I, what I have said earlier. So we, we kind of took it down, but it is very serious. And for a data center, which makes absolutely nothing, it's 100% heat. 
when you and we do the you know work on the internet and and wasting all that five six seven megawatt out into the air which is perfect usable heat for for us to make steam of directly it should be illegal and also anything from some chemical processes are also extremely um you know everything from cooling towers megawatt or gigawatt pouring out we need to take care of that heat because the energy is still there it's just at a value or a temperature level which nobody can use so what mm-hmm. do you do you refine it yeah that's what we yep. have to do with a high temperature heat pump so i'm just thinking about an analogy uh, and i was listening to a, a a tech podcast yesterday talking about oh well you know, the, there is this model that we've seen with, you know, um, Airbnb, Uber, et cetera, of taking a, an underutilized asset and making it productive, right? And creating whatever, multi-billion dollar, uh, often often tech companies. I mean, it's it's not too dissimilar from what you're talking about here, right? I mean, it isn't that heat is, is underutilized, but maybe it's, maybe waste is, is, is similar. Yeah. Yeah. It is. You can't even use underutilized. It's, it's mm-hmm. wasted. Yeah. Because of course, in all chemical uh, paper, uh, they are very good taking care of the heat. So exchanging the exergy down to to a level. So they 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 uh, they are very good at using the energy to an exergy level they need. So if they start with a higher temperature, they take it down to lower. Maybe exchanging it to another process, but a certain level, many times very high. So from, uh, oh, I'm now I'm in Fahrenheit. Can I be Celsius or is it? Uh... <laughs> let's just let's just go with Celsius and assume our audience is more sophisticated than I am. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, from I uh, from uh, thirty degree up to you know eighty ninety degree. So from hundred Fahrenheit ish and up to um, I don't know. Sorry for not being prepared on this question. How how <laughs> dare you, right? Follow the yeah. the glo- <laughs> global norm of uh, Celsius. Um, well, let let's let's switch from uh, this weak attempt to compare you all to Airbnb to um, to g- g- give us you've alluded to give us the um, give us the quick pitch on heating here. I will. Um, so electrifying industrial heat processes is the most important CO2 reduction task. So we, Heaton, develops and produce an industrial high-temperature heat pump that can produce steam or high-temperature hot water by reusing usable waste heat from industry, resulting up to 85% reduction in CO2 emission and cost. And if we uh, add another uh, dimension to it, uh, because now I'm you know, this is the pitch, and then we need to put this in a, in a global perspective. That decarbonizing heat is the elephant in the room for the industrial energy transition. So this is what we're talking about, right? Uh, industrial heat accounts for approximately 25% of total energy, global energy consumption, and 50% of this can be covered by our heat pump, the heat booster. Then you just put you in perspective. So again, to repeat, uh, 25% of all energy used in, on the globe is industrial heat. And 50% of that can be recovered and used by the heat booster, by heat pump. So I, I love that you repeated that. What a great teacher. I love that you repeated that for the listeners and also for me as I'm kind of writing writing my next questions or whatnot for, for, for me as well. So w- what is the source of the waste heat that you will repurpose, capture? 
that can be everything from all the way down to cooling towers. So uh, it can be a batch processes, some dairy, brewery, it, but it must be waste heat. It must be heat. You either use a cooler to cool away, you use water, river water to cool away, or that you basically have as surplus heat in, in your process. And uh, there's been a lot of studies locating because it, it doesn't help having only the heat sink need. So the steam and the high temperature water heat, you also need the source heat because you just, well, basically you could pull it out of here, but that's in a northern, northern part of the world mm -hmm. that wouldn't be efficient enough. But you can use, I mean, the, most of the cases we're exploring now is from cooling tower temperature to steam. I, I can imagine that there are lots of reasons why, you know, customers would choose to buy your product. Th think of, you know, energy savings or cost savings primarily, but I'm wondering, as you mentioned, where, where this heat goes, and you mentioned river water as an example, and I think about, you know, uh, either permits needed or biodiversity impacts from kind of thermal issues in the water. How much of the motivation to buy your oil's product is related to kind of where the heat is dumped? as kind of a, a fee avoided, let, let's say, or is it more just the former energy costs saved? Yeah, so maybe that's a multi-dimension question because if you look at it from one perspective, throwing it away anyway will reduce CO2 emissions. So if you reuse it, you will save 80%, up to 80% CO2 emission, emission. But if you look at it from a purely environmental, like, Physical from the direct cooling water, there is a lot of restrictions in 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 the rivers, in the uh, not in the ocean, but in the rivers, that actually cooling water, so waste water or waste heat from industry, is already watered down to get down to a temperature that is allowed to put into the river, for example. Okay. But okay. this is still limited, and there's also you know reduction in this because it has environmental. Issues. I mean, I come from a place where there's a power station up north, and I live with a big fjord and a river going into the fjord. And when my grandmother lived, this fjord was always frozen. After this uh, power station, were there and never frozen. So huh. they increased the water by four, five, six degree. That resulted in that the whole fjord grew with grass because they got they didn't get ice to rip up the grass every winter. Hmm. So there is a lot of focus on this as well, that there is local environmental uh, challenges by using okay. much water. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, Gear, I, I didn't know when it would happen on the podcast, but I, I knew it would happen that the, the word fjord would come up talking to someone. From... <laughs> well done. Well done. The, thir the 13 minute mark. Anyway, the, Norwegian, yeah. uh, the Norway commercial was then. But that's um, right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, maybe describe how the, the roots of, of heat, and as, as I saw online, you know, many years uh, in R&D before it became kind of commercialized, and it, it sounds like, you know, multiple years ahead of competition that are trying to do something similar with waste heat in industrial settings. Yeah, so we were, we were kind of, you know, started back in 2010 with R&D, and um, it was basically based on desalinization of salt water to recapture this heat that was surplus. Then back then it was what we call a rank organic ranking cycle or ORC to make electricity back from this heat. This was the start. 
And this was never ever kind of looked at the market that this was made. It was more to fix a problem. And our CTO uh, went in and, and you know spent over a year finding the best cycle and the best tool for the job. And uh, the the conclusion was a piston expander back then. And then of course this organic ranking cycle was tested and never really calibrated towards the markets. And uh, when it was done, it was it never became commercial um, attractive. And uh, we had this was due to early entry. It was you know low cost of energy at that time, and of course also high specific cost for the units. So it's like a little bit like the classic uh, trap we fell into. You know, trying to to we we found something for a purpose. The desalination project didn't happen. The uh, ORC was designed because it was great technology, but never ever calibrated to the market uh, what the market really needed. And um, this led to a change of strategy in 2016-17 that pivoted over to high-temperature heat pump after uh, Kim Ors, the uh, chemical company that makes the refrigerants in some of these. They uh, were the head of, of global uh, uh, cooling, what do you call it, global refrigeration unit, uh, which we know very well, said, why don't you look at heat pumps? And um, we did, made a really smart, quick uh, transition. So, of course, I have to explain that the ORC expander is the 99 or 95% same as a heat pump compressor. So, having spent six, seven years on really optimizing the ORC, or high, high, really high temperature, 215 degrees. It was fairly easy for us to 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 uh, pivot over to the high temperature heat pump and uh, make a heat pump instead. Another kind of mi- mistake was done by commercializing the heat pump heat booster as the same size as the ORC. Still not looking at the market that what what does the market really need, and this resulted in a very nice 200 kilowatt high temperature heat pump, and really, I mean, still running in, in, in Switzerland, by the way, today, but it was never made for the market. So after spending 30 million euros and uh, designed a fantastic high temperature or high quality heat pump, this was not the size that the market needed. Let's pause there. A couple of things. Can you, can you go back to ORC and maybe say a little more about what it is relative to a heat pump, by the way, I'm asking for a friend. I, sh- I told you know what it is. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so what it is re- relative to the heat pump. So Yeah, that's right. Similarities, yeah. differences, yeah. Yeah, so the similarity is that it is basically same process in reverse. So ORC takes waste heat and evaporates a gas. It is a liquid to a gas, making pressure like a steam engine. Turning around, pushing the piston down, turning around the uh, the generator, and then making electricity, condensing it on the other side, and then you go cycle. While the heat pump takes waste heat, it makes still steam, so it evaporates uh, liquid. But then you use electricity to compress this liquid, so you take the energy with you from in the evaporation phase change. Uh, this goes into the, the piston or into the compressor. You compress it, go, the heat goes up and the temperature goes up. You take it out to the other side where this meets the process at the factory or an industry where it condenses and give away the heat at a higher temperature. 
Then it goes back, condensed, goes back to the expansion valve, and then round it goes. So okay. basically, if you change the expansion valve out with a pump and you turn it around, it's the same thing. Okay. Then let, let's let's go from kind of those technologies to the another thread and what you were talking about, which is partly around size or you know amount of heat produced. Maybe describe to us kind of connect where the product was going. It, it ended up at a certain size in Switzerland with 30 million euros behind it versus where it is today, which which sounds like a, a process of you all learning what does the market really need versus what kind of tech could we produce? There's a lot there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, it's. Uh, I think I've, you had it in one of your earlier, at least one of your earlier podcasts where you're referring to, you know, it's little not it's not like falling in love with your technology, but it's a little bit like it. Mm. That you're you are you think you know what the market needs and you but you have what you have. Mm. And I will, you know, maybe get to it later, but um, you know, taking being courageous and, and bold enough to say, hey guys, we need to, you know, size this up should have been done of course earlier. Mm. But I, I have to say that with the ORC, we already got years of qualification of the technology platform and the, the high temperature. So two very difficult things were already solved with a small, you can call it prototype even, or the you know, bench version, um, workbench uh, type. And also uh, you know, having 60,000 hours in the ORC in the field and 30,000 on the high temperature heat pump, even though smaller scale is uh, extremely valuable for the input for us in the in the further design, and um, of course, in the same period, we managed to have, you know, a highly skilled team established. That and you can't just go out and buy high temperature heat pump designers; they are not there. Mm. So they are they need to be developed. We have a strong team, a very diverse team, and also having, I think, this also gained the head start of the competition. The competition, and of course, we. We started developing hydrotemperature heat pumps before the market even existed. So it was luck and some things. And then we ended up and saying, hey, this needs to be to industrial scale. What is What does the industry need? And then some fresh papers came out in 18, 19, that the industry needs a megawatt and upwards. So we decided, because we have another uh, philosophy when it comes to you know, getting the cost down very important uh, thing. So we need to make it in a way that it is scalable and that you can use, uh, you know, we can use 80% of the parts can be reused in mm-hmm. larger families. So you get high volume, low cost, all this stuff. So now it's a one megawatt, one to one, 1.5 megawatt. And we have a big brother in design, which is six megawatts. Um, okay. Okay. And as far as the stage of the company, do you have units already out kind of at on customers' sites? Is that kind of in progress? Yeah, so that's always a difficult question. That together with what is the TRL level? The, we have our 200 kilowatt machine running, three of them in field. So that was a three commercial machines. When we decided to discontinue this, we are about to have the one mega, 1.5 megawatt machine running in Germany within next month or two. And then I have to say the, the market is not somewhere overheated, it's extremely overheated. And we are you know, negotiating sales even before the machine is in built. So there are, um, yeah, that's where we are. So we are 
very, very strange business position, which we uh, like, but it's also uh, frightening uh, because it's all up to us now to make it sure. work. Sure. Well, I was going to say um, earlier, you, you mentioned the word uh, overheated, and I was going to say, that's pretty awesome. Like in a second language, you're making, you're making puns on the spot on a podcast. Yeah. Nice job. Who is the ideal customer? Think uh, maybe size of, of industry or type of, of industry, you know, location, that kind of thing. So chemical industry, I'll go a little bit more specific, but chemical industry, paper industry, drying processes, food drying, those and district heating. Uh, those are the four kind of, uh, but we also have what we have sold is to, you know, pet, you know, everything that has to do with cleaning, hot water production, uh, you know, uh, you even have, this is now future, but even, uh, you know, direct air capture or uh, carbon capture and storage will never, my mind, be commercial without a heat pump. It can never be, never be uh, so the energy needed for and sultry diesel is, is way, way too big. To, to not recuperate this. Uh, but uh, more specifically on, on customers, you know, our business plan is that we go to large industrial companies with large internal market. And the reason for that is that they have competent people on the energy side. They know their processes. We sell one, we prove one, we can sell 100. And, and this is also part of our uh, rollout or the, uh, the growth plan that we have people that are, or companies that are uh, sized size and, and, and rigged to grow and to meet our sales numbers. Because if you go and sell one and one, it will take too much time and too much effort instead of going to these companies, which has rollout plans with hundreds of machines mm-hmm. needed. Yeah. So, and and who, who are you selling to? What, what's the title of the person at these firms? Usually it is the equality, sustainability engineers. Uh, I mean, it's very difficult to say who we're selling to. Again, at the end of the day, it's the procurement guy, director. Mm-hmm. But our in-sell or selling uh, people or what do you call it, um, ambassadors, the ones that kind of finds the solution is usually sustainability directors uh, or like this, uh, you know, emission team or, or so they have usually report uh, very often directly to the board or to the management. So this is one type. The other type is we are selling to, you know, I have example of CEOs, which is very forward lean when it comes to uh, the carbon reduction. Also boards that have taken decision to, you know, go carbon neutral. Usually they, sorry, they pushed this down to their sustainability group or, or energy efficiency group. But very often, are they also the, the stakeholders in, in this uh, sales? Okay. What is, um, what is your old competition? Is it, I guess, it's business as usual? Or are there other kind of, you know, high temp uh, heat pump companies out there as well? There are getting more and more. And there's one, there's one fact. If there's a market, there will be competitors. Mm. It's just a merit matter on how and when and uh, all this. Yeah. So... There are some, not many, but some that already are rigged. They have, they're quite diverse in technology and in ability. And uh, we are sure that we are better than all of them. That sounds very... Uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. but, 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 but we are in, in, yeah. in a little bit, again, luck, a little bit, again, being good in getting early in using a quite unique 
quite a unique approach, I think, to production. Because if you're going to make kind of what, what separates us from the from competitors is that we, are, we build the heat booster on uh, utilizing a great to green strategy. I have to explain great to green, but I think it mm. sounds great. <laughs> it does sound, I'm hooked. Yeah, tell me more. Yeah, it, it is basically to, uh, to use all positive drivers in heavy duty combustion engine design. I have to just two words about that. Can you imagine there are made a million combustion, large, super large combustion engines in the world? Hmm. And there is a production facilities for all these. There are millions of people working with it. There are hundreds of thousands of designers, service people, all this stuff, which knows this kind of stuff in and out. Hmm. And by working with the world's, world's biggest mobile engine design company, AVL, as our design partner, we have chosen to to utilize that. So the engineering power, the the whole there's hundred years of knowledge into designing bearings, wear and tear and lubrication and all this stuff in engines. And of course, it is quite different than a the high temperature than a heavy duty engine, but it is similar in all the all the important facts, all the cost drivers. Mm. So, for example, by Building a heavy-duty combustion engine design, or having as design, where four and sixteen cylinder, so both are the same family. We use eighty percent of the parts. So mainly, only the big crankcase and the, the crankshaft is different between them. All the everything else is the same. You can use piston cylinder heads, piston rings, con rods, bearings. Everything is in one. So you can imagine the volume. You yep. get the economy of scale. Yeah, I th I'm thinking of of four beautiful letters uh, gear <laughs> that sounds similar to this this great green approach, which is COTS, uh, commercial off the shelf, right? Um, right, which is like innovation's amazing. Except that if you need to create every new supply chain, every new skilled person to build the stuff, forget about it. Right, it's going to take too long. Exactly, exactly. I mean, yes, right. but really, uh, this is so. We have had a blast, uh, you know, growing the company. And I have to admit, one of the difficult parts is that this is not sexy enough. It's not, mm. they can, it, so the first glance is not innovative enough. It is, trust me. But having a piston-based something has existed for so long that you have to really uh, spell it out there to see what is your unique selling point? What is your, what you know, how can this job not be just copied or how is this, you know, if you can make it in a high, heavy duty facility, you know, then it must be easy. No, there's a lot of things around it, but this has been a part of it. If you can't scale it, if you're serious about it, if you want to do an impact. So if you want to save one gigaton in 2050, you have to be serious about it. Then you have to choose something that is very efficient, but also mass producible and cost. Well, Everybody knows volume creates low cost, high yeah. volume, low cost. Let's let's uh, pick up on one of those threads there. Yeah, you mentioned that the, that this is kind of an unsexy uh, technology. Yet, <laughs> yet, right? You, you all attracted thirty million euros in the past, and now you've attracted uh, other uh, kind of climate VC from from our friends at at Prime and Azola. W what do you think it is about your you know unsexy solution that made smart climate tech investors say, "Heck yeah, let's back uh, let's back Heaton." I think exactly what it's just they understand if you want to do something, if you want to have success in you know, getting this into in the industry, you need to have something that 
that stands for robustness, you know, heavy duty. It needs to be mass producible in plants and techniques, which is known in large numbers. Uh, you know, you have to have high efficiency, of course, but you also need to have the service is important, cheap service, easy service. We have a good, we used a lot of focus on this. So when they get the package, so we have chosen a highly efficient, mass producible in large numbers. It clicks from them and they understand that, yeah, combustion engine world, maybe they don't have a future, which they don't in the future, right? Maybe they pivot over to the green alternative, which is us, which is a part of our strategy. We're tapping into a global production, so it's scalable all over the globe. They, this, these machines are made all over the place, on license, on, on contract production. So again, lead to back what you said. We're not reinventing the wheel, and uh, we are kind of using something old in a way, very new and innovative way, utilizing all the experience, but you know, creating something new and and uh, and very you know, very efficient and needed in the industry. Hey, it's Chris. Just a brief message from our sponsors and we'll get back to the show. <laughs> Just kidding. We don't take sponsors. On the other hand, I do have the privilege of leading the only executive peer group community for growth stage CEOs, founders, and investors fighting climate change. With monthly group meetings, annual retreats, and one-on-one -on -one executive coaching calls, our members help each other boost revenue, impact, capital raised, clarity, confidence, work-life balance, and team effectiveness. Today's 30-plus members represent over $8 billion in market cap or assets under management for climate solutions. If you're interested, go to entrepreneursforimpact.com and join the waiting list today. All right, back to the show. As we do, let's switch from the company to the person here. Right? We are we are people people building these climate tech companies. So so, Gear, tell us something that you strongly believe in. This can be business, can be outside of business. Kind of what what makes you you as a leader in a place like Heaton? Well, I really believe in. I'm not sure if I can say it because it's it's business, but I believe in in the the business plan that we have teaming up with large industrial companies with large internal market. To get to the to have a proper go-to-market strategy, this is really so clear for me. And uh, but I'll do some. I'll do better on my next point. Uh, I also believe in a flat company structure. Uh, it's maybe very Norwegian, but for me, it's a very important that we are have a flat structure with that. And in in our company in Heaton, we have an intervention policy. That means that everybody can intervene anytime if there's any wrongdoing or anything they are concerned about. Hmm. It's all over the line. It's very important to us that we have a trust culture, that we have this, this way of, of, so if somebody have identified some issues which they have no clue about, but they have some thoughts about it that might be wrong, something that is in the, the workforce, the employees or technology or in, in any other in management, they, they are allowed to, this is important and, and it's, it's been repeated uh, quite uh, often that we should have that culture. I also believe in an honest and balanced business. I think that's the best for both parties and gives the best working environment and, and the best result for both at the end. It's also important to be, I want Heaton and us to be looked upon as honest business people. Of course, we take care of our company, but we think um, it's a little bit like 
uh, you know, selling the first unit is easy. Selling the second is the hard part. Mm -hmm. yeah. So having that trust relationship with our customer is important. To me. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah, I like that that empowerment for anybody at any level to speak up, whether it's you know a tech issue, culture issue, etc. How about uh, looking backwards, Gear? Uh, what advice might you give your your younger self to be uh, more effective, happier on this journey? Ooh, that's a hard one. I would say uh, my key takeaway would be to trust your gut feeling more. It is so. I, I've kind of I. I Repeat to myself, it is your unconscious mind that tries to advise you. Mm. Trust more your gut feeling. It is your unconscious mind that tries. That's, that is important to me. And I've learned that usually, I mean, a very, very high percentage, my gut feeling is right when I have overlooked it or, or ignored it. Yeah, I both love that. And I also... I'm trying to kind of sync it up with with research saying, you know, like whatever, 70, 80 percent of our unconscious thoughts are negative and, fear, you know, <laughs> yeah. fear based and self-preservation based. It's like maybe don't listen to those as much uh, because yeah. those, those well, fears are often, you know, yeah. kind of outdated, if you will. I, I, I fully understand what you're saying. And I think so maybe not. Maybe this is absolutely not scientific at all. But I think there is a separation between you actually the feeling you have in your gut and the fear, the unconscious mm -hmm. kind of, I feel so, but, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> yeah. And, and I also, if you, there's some more, I would say to my, my younger self, I would say on the business side, uh, you know, look at the market and focus on solving and removing the pain points with your customers. And at the end, and this is maybe a little bit cheesy, but it's important. And of course, spending more time with your family, they are the biggest support and strength. Hmm. So that I would say. Well, I, I mean, I fully support the last one for sure. But on the middle one, it actually relates to part of your old journey, right? As I heard it, you know, you, you all had the ability to produce a certain technology, uh, but that wasn't quite what the, what the market, what the customers wanted exactly, right? And I think, you know, so often founders, including myself early on, would say, oh, well, I want to create this cool, this cool technology without talking to a hundred potential customers yeah. first, right? To see if that's what they really, that's what they really wanted. But it's so pretty anyway. Yeah, it's, it's so pretty. And I, you know, I love it. And falling in love with your technology is dangerous, but also it's a little bit like what driving us, right? So mm -hmm. it's um, maybe, so this is of course wrong, but it is your creativity and inner, maybe most likely your, your creativity, inner engineer or whatever that drives you to come up with stuff, not necessarily to gain money on it and to find mm -hmm. the market, but just to achieve something that is solve a problem. You know, we're. Yeah. I like that. Your, your inner engineer, <laughs> or, you know, maybe phrased differently, like, you know, we, we, we should build stuff, right? It's just that yeah. sometimes those things we build, nobody wants, and that's okay too. Just don't try to make it <laughs> a business. <laughs> Just don't bet money on it, right? Yeah, yeah. How about habits or routines that keep you healthy, sane, and focused here? Well, I'm an active diver, so I'm diving every weekend. Oh, wow. Um, in Norway at four degrees C at the moment. Okay, so okay. 35 in my Fahrenheit, I think. So that's one thing. And the reason for the diving is so important to me is that nobody can disturb or talk you to you underwater. Okay. That's uh -huh. impossible. No phones yeah. ring. Nobody stops by, and not that I 
I love my colleagues, but to have peace in mind and just be <laughs> alone in my head. That's right. You go under freezing water underground where you could die, right? And no one well, nobody can talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you could, of course, just pull out the, uh, the vent and just end it. No, I'm just kidding. Not that bad. Uh, not, not that much silence. Yeah. No, no, no. So that's one thing. And currently I'm in Denmark. I have a small farmhouse. My wife is Danish and I love being there. So having all the animals around waking up to this is something that keeps me sane. And mm. we have long trips, walking trips. And also in Mandal, where I come from in Norway, we have some big beaches and, and forests, which, mm. you know, long walks and, and, and exercise there. Love so, it. Yeah. As a Norwegian, I have to ask, are you, are you getting into saunas uh, after you get out of very, very cold water? No, I'm not. I'm strangely not so fan about sans saunas. Okay. Uh, I, I, may, I don't know if we were, I was, was allergic to it by, you know, school or something. We were forced into these saunas with, uh, nine, you know, a boiling temperature inside. So, yeah. no, I, I like um, really getting into cold water with, uh, of course, a, a dry suit. Yeah. Uh, it's um, also, it's quite exhausting. Uh, but it is, you feel good. It's like you have exercised after you're done. Invigorating. Yeah. yeah. Stereotypes be damned, right? This Norwegian dives in cold water, does not get in hot, in hot sauna. Is that right? How about uh, recommendations for uh, books, podcasts, tools, quotes, etc.? I have a, a Hans Worsling book called 10 Reasons Why uh, Reasons We Are Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, this was, I know this is highly debated, this work, but if you read it, uh, there are, let's say, main part of it makes you feel good about the future of the world. Of course, after I've read it, we had, uh, you know, Ukraine crisis, we had the, uh, yeah. the US, uh, China being more uh, stressed, you know, the relationship and all this stuff. But if you look at uh, poverty, hunger, uh, all this stuff, um, we're in much, much better shape than we think. So this is what this book is about. I also have a, a Norwegian physis, uh, physician and professor of general practice. He's now dead here. He died in 2017, but he has a really good quote. And for new uh, entrepreneurs, he, he has a quote saying, you never get to test yourself in danger zone. So if you never get to test yourself in danger zone, how are you supposed to become fit for fight in the jungle? So that mm. means that you need to explore your your limits before you're in the heat, before you need them. You need to stress yourself, put yourself in, in, in situations where you're not comfortable, challenge yourself, because when you need it, you will have it. So when you, mm. you know... So if you don't present for 10 people, how can you then all of a sudden present for a thousand people? Or if you don't, you know, speak up in team, how will you ever, you know, get anywhere? Or if you don't take any chances, how will you, will you ever get anywhere? Mm -hmm. And then my, my last recommendation is, uh, you know him probably very well, the, so Michael Liebrecht, the his podcast is something that I'm, in addition to your uh, big fan of, and I think he has some highly relevant subjects and some, he's very speaking, he's outspoken and uh, a realist, which, uh, which doesn't really go with the flow and, and he tests the, uh, he has a lot to say about hydrogen. I'm not going to say anything more, but uh, mm. 
Yeah, and also very reality checks on very important subjects. Yeah, and very very data, very data driven, right? As the creator of of yep. New Energy Finance, which became you know Bloomberg Bloomberg New Energy Finance, of course. Uh, yeah, great great thought leader for sure. Well, Garrett, this is great. Uh, I wish we could hang out and go for a stroll on your Denmark farm after this podcast. Alas, maybe not this You're time. Welcome. <laughs> Anyway, hey, uh, I'll go down and meet you there. So if you come to Denmark, we will have a stroll. Perfect, perfect. Well, hey, listen, we're we're rooting for the success of uh, of of Heaton. Clearly, a big need in the industrial setting for the solutions you all are producing. Any any final words for listeners? Social want to hear from calls to action, etc. I would really share, and this is of course um, business wise low to us, but it's also very close to my heart. Uh, I really want a high-temperature heat pump to be a major part of the ongoing energy transition and decarbonization. And we need to reduce waste heat that we, can already, that we already have produced, regardless of future energy sources. Heat pumps also is inter- instrumental on the majority of these carbon capture and direct air capture processes. So we need to, we need to spread knowledge and, and in industry and how to integrate we also need to, to spread knowledge on, on what heat pumps can do. So this can be used. One of the biggest, or no, the biggest uh, uh, medical comp- or medical pharmaceutical company in the world, uh, the, the uh, sustainability director, he said it very nicely. He is 100% sure within 10 years, the high temperature heat pump is as normal as anything else in the industry. And that's where we need to go. Dot, 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 especially in the US. <laughs> Yeah, because the yeah. U.S. is lagging uh, on this subject, and I'm not saying Europe is doing very well either. They are just, you know, re- waking up. But I really, um, I really want to reach out to my second home. I live there, so uh, in the U.S. Right. And to uh, ask for them to have a closer look at high temperature heat pumps. Well, I, th- I think things like the Inflation Reduction Act are certainly help- going to help make. Heat pumps more mainstream. Right, absolutely. All right, Garrett, with that, we'll call it a day, man. Good to talk to you. Talk soon. Thanks for listening. And if you want more intel on climate tech, better habits, and deep work, then join the thousands of others who subscribe to our Substack newsletter at entrepreneursforimpact.com or drop me a note on LinkedIn. All right, that's all, y'all. Take care.